I was getting some looks during the reading of that gospel. <laughs> Rugged. What's he going to do with that? Yeah. I'll get there. I will. I was talking to a friend this week who has been widowed in the last year, and we were talking about how she was, uh, how she was doing in a, in a grief group of recent widows and how difficult it was. And we talked about how she might know pain, but she would not be damaged. She was choosing to turn into her pain because she saw that as the way uh, through it for her. And I realized after we, after we hung up the telephone that what we were talking about and what she was doing was choosing life. She was choosing life in the sorts of ways that Deuteronomy asks us to do today. As we make our way through the seasons of life, much as we make our way through the seasons of the church year, the reality is, for all of us, that there are going to be times of greater intensity, greater engagement in whatever's going on, and then other times where things become more routinized, uh, more, more, more uh, res- sort of repetitive, and so on. And in recent months, I find myself in a more repetitive kind of, kind of uh, routine. Uh, you know, get up, 5.30, walk the dog, get the lunches, wake the children up, get them to school, get to the gym, and sit in traffic on Ponce de Leon for at least half an hour, and then get to church by, you know, 8.30 or something. And, and then do, do work during the day and, and try and remember what's important. Uh, but it, after a while, that routine just kind of gets, you almost, I almost get deadened to it. And the snow days kind of shook me up a bit and, uh, and helped me realize that what was going on was that I was finding it easy to forget that what we're doing is choosing life rather than death. And we're doing it when we worship and when we practice. In this community, we're about receiving and proclaiming and receiving again nothing less than salvation, nothing less than God's saving grace. And we can certainly drift through periods of our lives where where we forget that what we're about in this community is salvation and what really matters so that we can be shaped for life by God. But we practice nonetheless. We practice worship. We practice generosity. We practice truth-telling. We practice service and justice and confession. We practice community. These are practices that have their own worth for the followers of Jesus. And everything we do, therefore, is about proclaiming and claiming the promise of abundant life. Doesn't always mean intense feeling, doesn't always mean an intense experience of intimacy with God, nor will it always mean the absence of pain, although all those are possible. What we're doing is choosing life. I'm told and read again recently that a mythological many people today, many people today do not expect to find God in church. And I am moderately suspicious of such blanket statements because they tend to be made by self-appointed spokespeople for those many people today. And those spokespeople are, as often as not, actually church people trying to show many people today how understanding they are so that those same many people today come to their meaningful and relevant church rather than all those other boring ones. They're advertising that you can expect to meet God. You might meet God here, but what you can expect as you engage the practices of faith 
along with other followers of Jesus in the community of Jesus, what you can expect is that you will find yourself, as you look for the effects of your worship in your life, you can expect that you will find yourself living more courageously, more faithfully, more lovingly, more generously, more hopefully, more compassionately, more justly, and much else besides that makes for abundant life. And along the way, it will not be uncommon for you, I guess, and expect for you to receive experiences of intimacy with God. Well, those are, those are things that we cannot conjure or guarantee as they are always, by definition, gifts, gratuitous grace. But as it is for my widowed friend, however, so for all of us, choosing life is the harder road. There is no cheap grace on offer here. And so we need to talk about Jesus' sermon on the mount. The law says you shall not murder but I say to you that if you are angry or belittling or dismissive of another, then you are just as liable to judgment as that murderer. You know not to commit adultery, but if you men so much as flirt with a married woman, you will be undermining the very community that is life-giving for all people, and you will be liable to judgment. Let your word be your word, and live with the kind of integrity demanded by the spirit of the law, and not the letter only. Jesus knows full well that the law had been given to Moses as a gracious gift of identity. You are the kind of people who love the Lord your God, who take care of the widow and orphan and the stranger and the wayfarer, the kind of people in right relation with God, the way of life. And so keeping covenant met obeying the law. And by the time of Jesus, those with power to interpret the law had done it in such a way uh, that the assurance of justice for all people, as including the weak and the poor and the wayfarer and the widow and the stranger and the orphan, wasn't happening. It, the Lord become a means of control of some by others. And so Jesus says he came to fulfill the law, not to overturn it. From now on, he says, what in effect you sought for the, in the law, you'll now find in right relation with me. I am the way of life. And what he's demanding of his followers is the highest imaginable ethic, the highest imaginable behavior. And it's the kind of behavior that we all do when we're in love. Think about the person you have loved best in this world. Think about who you were and are in that relationship and how you want to be the best person you can be for that other. And how you want to be, it's the old thing of be the person your dog thinks you are. Live up to the highest standards because of the love that you have been granted and the love you receive. And, and in that self-giving love, you will find yourself more fully who you were created to be. We are an eccentric people. We live towards something, a center outside ourselves. And we know it best when we are in love. The ethical demands of the Sermon on the Mount go way beyond the righteousness of the law. It's an ancient version of the modern saying, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. Jesus expects his followers to be fully alive as we exhibit the kind of absolute integrity that he made manifest even as he went to his death. 
Now, this can seem all but impossible, and in a sense it is. And that is until we realize that even our integrity, such as it is, is a gift of grace. Uh, my reading of the Sermon on the Mount was transformed by a uh, Swiss theologian called uh, Ulrich Luz, wrote a commentary on Matthew. And one of the things he recognized is that the Sermon on the Mount is structured around the Lord's Prayer. That's the heart of the sermon. And that either side of the Lord's Prayer, from beginning to end, are sort of mirror images of each other. And the mirror of this work of antitheses, and do, do we need some help here? Let's see if we get a doctor. We'll just pause a moment. Love in action. Crack Usher team springs into action. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask your healing, sustaining grace for our brother Jim and for those who will care for him in the minutes and hours to come, that he may be restored to fullness of health and for your service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're talking about the ethical demands of the Sermon on the Mount and that gospel that calls for the kind of integrity that Jesus manifested even as he went to his death. And how in the Sermon on the Mount, all of these, what well, are called antitheses, that you've heard it said, but I say to you, that incredibly demanding ethic is mirrored by all those passages that talk about, don't worry so much. You are not God. Don't worry about what you will eat or what will you wear. Don't worry about what you'll say when the time comes. Consider the lilies of the field. And so these incredibly hard ethical demands are balanced by remembering that even our capacity to meet them is a gift itself, a gift of God's grace, a gift of redeeming, self-giving love. It's If we are in right relation with God, we will be living with ever greater integrity even as we are reminded that we are not God and we are not granted divine powers. And so one way we can hear Jesus' sermon 
in a particular way for this time in our common life is to hear a prophetic call to wake up when we are in a routine, to wake up and choose life again. Might have escaped you that Lent is almost upon us, season for self-examination, season for combating the shadows. We often take on ascetic disciplines in this season, and ascesis originally comes from the gymnasium, and it really meant something like shadow boxing. Every one of us knows where we allow the deathly in our lives to take over. Everyone knows it might not be belittling others. It might not be being lustful. It might be alcohol, or it might be computer games, or escapist novels or movies. It might be any kind of compulsive behavior by which the deathly creeps in and we stop living. We might worry about money, or we might worry about security or cleanliness, or how much we weigh, or how we look. At any rate, we all have something. And we can battle the shadows as a way of choosing life. Lent's a season to step it up, to remember the truth that we are not God, to turn again toward the kind of life that is marked by integrity and both expected and made possible by Jesus' love. Lent, an opportunity for us to remember and renew the reality that we're here every week for nothing less than salvation, life-saving salvation to renew our sure and certain knowledge in the power of God, to invite others to share with us in choosing life, like the widow facing into her own pain, the addict confessing her addiction, the prisoner being released from prison, like anyone, any one of us, finding the spark of life being fanned into a flame that drives away the kingdom of death. And so we respond to the gospel in our customary silence, I invite you to allow something to come to your mind that you know is your spiritual challenge in this season. And as you look toward Lent, remember that God has set before all of us every day a choice, life and prosperity or death and adversity. In silence, in the assurance that grace is costly, and in response to the gospel, let us respond in prayer.